0: Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences.
1: I went to a funeral today. Oh, oh, did you? I did.
0: Really? Mm. Because of someone you knew, or did you just <laughs> walk <I> up?
1: <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> that would not it's surprise me. That you say that, so yes, someone I knew. But when we got to the cemetery, yes. uh, there was a bit of—I was going to say it was a bit of time to kill. It's unfortunate. <laughs> turn of phrase. There was a bit of time because yeah. the hearse yes. hadn't arrived yet. Oh, you said that well. Yes, because you, you corrected me last time. Um, <laughs> so I strolled around, and I realised that. Nico thought that was weird because he was having a conversation, it was a rather boring conversation with someone that I wasn't really into the combo. So I thought I'm gonna go for a stroll. Is
0: this at that enormous cemetery place? Oh, I don't even remember what suburb. the one Not I was in. Springvale to just one.
1: Yes. No, I, that one is it's massive. Like an entire this, city. Yeah, it's huge. Of dead, but bodies. this is a different this was a different one. It was quite far out, actually, and I thought I'm going to go for a stroll because sometimes I think, oh, I wonder if there's anyone buried here that I've done stories on. Yeah. I go looking for names, but <laughs> I didn't see anyone that I've done a story on. But there were lots of, like, there was a really young girl and, mm. yeah. I love old cemeteries. and Yeah. Yeah, creepy. yeah, this, yeah it, was, it was Nico's uh, grandfather, and they did open oh. casket. Oh. and when we walked in we realized it was open and he he looked at me he goes I ain't going up there and I was like that's you cool did. no I didn't I was a supportive partner I stayed back with him oh. Yeah we could just see hands You've changed with this with this wedding in the I air. haven't You're on your best behavior No I picked my wedding dress in 45 minutes Did you? Yeah done
0: Is it simple but elegant?
1: Yeah, like, or me. is it
0: like I want you with puff sleeves? No, I haven't flowers, embraced the
1: Greek side. sparkles,
0: no, beaded, bodice. synthetic <laughs> lace. I want all <laughs> of that.
1: Not I want you to be that. carrying
0: a basket with petals in it. Uh-uh. Who's first tonight? Ah, uh, you go. Thank you. Uh, I am working tonight. It's not necessarily tonight when you're listening to this. Whenever you're listening, day, morning, at the encouragement of Lanny. And her partner Winston. What? Winston may be an animal. I don't know. What are you talking? About? I don't understand what your story. is. <laughs> we had an it. email from Lenny and Winston, oh, and right. Lenny was also in touch on Facebook. Um, who are in Tasmania? So, and sure. because I'm going to Tasmania, beautiful part so of the world. How about this? My daughter, who's now working, like got her first proper job. Real been job. working at it for a while. She's been saving her money like crazy because she wants to buy her first house, and she bought me her first big girl present like did oh. you, do you remember you know never being able to give your mum and dad anything yeah. good she, didn't have no- she surprised me with tickets for she and I to go to Tasmania for a few days isn't that gorgeous? That's was, really cute. I know, I know. I was like so excited. So I'm going to Tasmania. And just by chance, Lanny and Winston got in touch and asked for, um, they're from Tassie and would love to hear a local story. And tipped me off to the story of Alexander Pierce, which I will get to in just a second. Sure. Um, oh, no. Uh, Winston is her boyfriend uh, because she says nice things, nice things. <laughs> Not her dog. <laughs> no. Um a boyfriend, okay, a boyfriend. They sit together and listen to it. They'll often turn to each other and say Murder. Thank you. Yes, they do. <laughs> All right. So started to have <laughs> that a, was look a really at good one stuff. It was. It was very loud. Yeah, and bold. It was good. So a bit of tazzy stuff here. First was this was on abc.net.au just recently, apparently buried underneath. Hobart schools, churches and houses are thousands of convicts, Indigenous Tasmanians. Under schools? And early settlers. Yes. The Hobart City Council Senior Cultural Heritage Officer, Brendan Leonard, and that is a name that suits a cultural
1: Brendan Leonard Heritage Officer
0: from the Hobart City Council. He says there are a lot of secret burial sites. So there's a few out in Newtown. I'm on board with accents tonight, by the way. There is no – what's a Hobart accent? I
1: don't know. I'm just on board. I feel like I've had to shush in a church and oh, okay. look sad all day, so I'm cut. ready to be outrageous. Uh,
0: I'm going to give lots of local stuff so that if when I do get to Hobart, they go, oh, you're the lady. You know all the local places. Free uh, things, free things. Hill Street in West Hobart, there are a few burials there that have had houses built on top of them. Every so often, apparently, when people are digging up their garden, no. they come across bits of coffins no. fragments of bones. Yes, they do. In Hobart's CBD, St. David's Park is Tasmania's oldest gravesite. It was a site. It was set up in 1804 and it was a burial ground for a lot of early settlers.
1: Well, there's not a lot of land in Tassie, is there? It's tiny. Yeah. Had to put it somewhere.
0: Are we going to? You know what? Once on air, many years ago. why no. I laughed so much, I cried, I couldn't get air to come into me over yep. the most pure thing I was <laughs> it's like who episode. My dear on air partner, Grubby, um, they were talking about how David Boone, who's a cricketer from Tasmania, sure. Had been presented with a trophy that was in the shape of Tasmania, made from hue and pine. And Grubb said something like, Oh, that's lovely. The old map of Tassie. Isn't that <laughs> nice that they gave me up? Because the map of Tassie is euphemism for the
1: vaginal hair vaginal
0: hair, which no woman has these days it's all has to be gone doesn't it
1: well it seems unhygienic
0: there's an entire generation of young men that are going to grow up looking at modern porn just thinking that women don't have hair on their vaginas
1: is this probably
0: sorry if you came to this podcast i was going to overshare <laughs> then
1: i'm going to shut up change the topic no don't
0: <laughs> change the topic don't um Okay, so this one in Hobart CBD, there's about a 1,000 bodies there. Closed in 1872, it fell into disrepair, and then in the 1970s, the City Council reopened it as a public park. There you are, everyone. What? Don't play there. The cemetery? Look, if you do trip over a stone, don't worry. Yes. And the gravestones themselves... Were placed on the walls of Hobart's Supreme Court. And apparently, every now and again in the park, you'll see what? a bit of a dip in the ground. <laughs> what? Where, where a, a burial has sort of Sunk, sunk. In, yes. Uh, Campbell Street Primary School near the Central Business District has about 5,000 convicts buried beneath its grounds because these just send all the criminals down there. No one cared. They just bunged them in the ground at the end. They died at the Campbell Street Convict Penitentiary a few hundred metres down the road. And at one stage they made a bit of an attempt at moving some, but they only moved about 20 of them. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) And then the school was built in 1926. Uh, In St John's Park, under the grounds of the old Church of England Cemetery, 400 children are buried in unmarked graves. They were from early settlers and from Aboriginal families and from orphanages. My family's
1: left a lot of pet dead bods in backyards. Yeah. Yeah, I think people... I, we've had a couple of moves, and I'm just—I don't know why my brain has gone there—but mm. there would be a few people that would be digging up backyards, I've been thinking finding about pets,
0: because my darling old golden retriever is getting very old. He's fourteen. You and need a half to make there. a plan. What are you going to do? I'll—I'll I'll have some ashes. I've I got a really good
1: guy. Me. Have you? Yes. An ash guy. Yeah.
0: Of course
1: you have. <laughs> I don't do. Call, speed speeder. I do. He's yeah. Okay. He's fabulous. He looked after my dog. When the time comes, hit me up. Okay. I got you. Don't uh, think about it now, though. In really 1828, upsetting.
0: the bodies of about 30 Aboriginal men were thrown from a cliff. Oh. It was known as the Cape Grimm Massacre. I made a mental note to actually chase that up on a note for a whole other story. Uh, Aboriginal people were exiled to Waibalena on Flinders Island, which is an early example of a permanent offshore detention. There was a grave site set up there. Uh, now, here's some awful stuff. The bodies of a lot of the Aboriginal dead were exhumed for scientific or research purposes because scientists at that time in the 1800s saw Aboriginal people as like the missing link. And With
1: permission or without permission?
0: Without. They would just do whatever they wanted to them. They treated them like they were animals.
1: were um, they part of the Flora and Fauna Act yes, or something ridiculous? they were actually
0: described as, as, as fauna. Yeah there was um a very strong market for specimens of the aboriginal people right uh, in european scientific institutions so they'd send them there and they would often the, the graves of tasmanian aboriginals would be robbed um, and one of the most famous was Truganini. Her body was exhumed by the Royal Society of Tasmania. It was put on display. Her skeleton was shown Shit. at the Colonial Exhibition in Melbourne. She's a whole other story too in herself. In the late 1800s, they brought her back to Hobart. They showed her in an art gallery, and then uh, because of public pressure, they um, the museum had to give her skeleton, uh, hang on, give it up. They cremated it. Oh, and they scattered. That's not in line
1: with their, like, with Indigenous beliefs. I don't no. think they cremate, do no, they? No, there was a big outrage yeah. over
0: Toganini's remains. They were scattered in the Entre channel, and they repatriated her remains back to Tasmania. Anyway, let me get to the convict criminal, Alexander Pierce. Am I talking
1: too much? Try no, and stop me. I'm here. I'm I'm on.
0: Thank you. Alexander Pierce was born in 1790 in County Monaghan in Ireland.
1: That was really
0: good. Thank you. He, wo- you are really up for accents. No, no normally I was, get told
1: off. You've what episode are we? 47? 47, Forty-seven. 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 And you have you've gotten better.
0: Thank you. It's Ireland is the only one I can do. He worked as a farm labourer. He was only very short, five foot three. Uh, which was under average for that time, a strong, wiry body and blue eyes. In 1819, he stole six pairs of shoes. He was caught and charged and transported to Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania, for seven years. Mm. He was given a job as a servant. He sounds like an absolute rat bag because he made such a mess of it. He was drinking too much. He was stealing. He was flogged four separate times. One time he got 50 lashes for embezzling two turkeys and three ducks. Another time he got 50 lashes and six months working in chains for stealing a wheelbarrow. That's got to be the worst
1: punishment. Lashing? Yeah. Imagine being the person who had to do the lashing. I saw uh, a photo of a man. Oh, I'm going to get the countries wrong, but he, it was a recent photo mm. and he was being, what do they call it now? Lashed? No, they had Flogged? Have, mm, mm. I can't think of the word. No. But that was happening to him Flailed? because he was no. gay. Oh, and he's no. back! Like no, don't, oh. don't, don't, don't! No, it was horrible. I just don't. I, you'd pass out at some point. Mm. It's horrible, awful. And how would you then? You couldn't rest ever. You
0: you couldn't no. lay down. To...
1: No, you wouldn't even be able to move. <sighs>
0: um. So there he is. He's locked up for stealing the wheelbarrow. He escaped. On the 18th of May, 1822, the Hobart Town Gazette had an ad in it offering a £10 reward for his capture. So he was on the run. He was caught. He was charged with absconding Mm -hmm. and with forging an order which was quite a serious crime at the time, and he was given a second sentence of transportation. This time they shipped him off to what at the time was a new penal establishment on Sarah Island, which is just off Tassie in Macquarie Harbour on Tasmania's west coast, and it was one of the harshest penis. <laughs> what? I thought that would happen. What? Yeah.
1: Sorry? I,
0: look, I thought that <laughs> would happen. One of the harshest
1: penises. Woof. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Okay. One of the harshest. Go again.
0: No, just, just go again. I'm leaving yourself. where
1: it is. You're trying to make me say penis no, I'm again. Not. I'm say, not going no, to do say, it. No, because people might not know what you're talking about. You didn't mean to say <laughs> penis.
0: Penis, penal, penal settlement. Why are they so common? Why, why so similar? I mean, not so common.
2: Oh, I don't know those two
0: words, penal punishment. Anyway, it's a it's it's an <laughs> island. <laughs> So he was sent to this terrible, What's what was it called? I've forgotten.
1: It's <laughs> the face you did that killed me.
0: Sarah Island. Yeah. Hey, he's sent there. It's right. in a bay surrounded by a mountain wilderness, and it's hundreds of miles from any other settlement. It was where the worst of the worst were sent. So later that same year, he's working on a labour gang. This is September of 1822. And Pierce saw a boat. Mm-hmm. He, we've spoken about escaping by boat before, Oh, it's we? the
1: shittest <laughs> ever. It's so stupid. So Don't do the boats. It's slow.
0: He hadn't got Row. that mail from you. <laughs> he jumped into the boat along with seven other prisoners oh. and they managed to make it to the mainland. Now, the others were Alexander Dalton, Thomas and William Kennelly, Matthew Travers, Edward Brown, Robert Greenville and John Mather. Remember all those names. I'll be testing you on them later, Sharnell. Got
1: them. One of I the... only remember the last one, John Mather. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the blokes, Robert Greenhill, had an axe and so they appointed him the leader of this gang of eight.
1: Because he had the axe. Yes. Good.
0: And he had um, he was probably closest mates with what the other one called Matthew. <laughs> Could
1: Tra- be a complete fucking idiot, <laughs> but he's got the axe, so let's go with him. I'm in
0: charge. Well, he was mates with a guy called Matthew Travers. They'd actually been jailed together at the same time. Okay, forced, for ironically, trying to steal a boat. Are you going to say
1: stealing an axe? <laughs>
0: no. Uh, so anyway, this gang of eight, they were planning to head east across Tasmania, steal a ship again. Don't do it. Steal a ship. And they were going to head for a Pacific island or maybe China, they thought. They were on the run for about 15 days. And this is incredibly, de- like when you say wilderness, thick, big rain, crazy trees, crazy. mountainous, everything cold, a bit drippy, wet, probably leeches, probably snakes. Made that up, whatever. Um, they ran out of food. So they drew straws to see who would be killed and eaten. Oh. And Thomas Boddenham drew the short straw and uh, Robert Greenhill killed him with his axe. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Pierce, who's the focus of our story here, he later told the authorities that at about three o'clock in the morning, this um, Alexander Dalton was asleep. Greenhill got up, took the axe, hit him on the head with it, which killed him as he never spoke afterwards. And then Travers, who was mates with Greenhill, so Greenhill's the one with the axe, Travers is his mate who got arrested with him. Travers took a knife, cut the throat of this guy, bled him. They then dragged the body away from their little camp they'd made. They cut off his clothes, tore his inside out, cut off his head, and then Mather, Travers and Greenhill put his heart and liver on the fire to broil. But they took them off and ate them before they were right hot, they asked the rest of the group, do you want any of this? But the others wouldn't eat that night. And the next morning, the rest of the body was cut it up and they divided it into equal parts. So the next day... Three of the group decided they were just horrified by what had happened, so they ran off, and they were found. Yeah, sinking. They were found by because there were search parties and coppers and stuff all looking for them at this point. So that three were found. They were dying of exposure and starvation. They were still alive though, but they still had pieces of meat in their pockets. So that left five in the gang on the run. They decided they need to eat again. So the next to die was Thomas Boddenham. He was axed as he was resting by the fire. There's a thread here don't rest by a fire. That left four of them.
1: Don't rest when you're around your murdering mates. Exactly.
0: So four were left Greenhill and Travers, so Axeman and his mate. They were sort of the leaders of the gang. Sure. John Mather and Alexander Pierce. Now, Mather and Pierce knew that it would be one of them that would be the next to be eaten because the other two are mates and they've got the axe. At last. So Pierce, this is like a game of survivor. And I think probably smart on his part. He gangs up with the axe guy and his mate and says, Let's get him. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alliance. Yep. So the three of them then killed Mather. And ate him. I'm just going to hand you a line here to read, okay? Um, because this is a quote now from Alexander Pierce. Can you just read that?
1: I went a little distance after we stopped, and on looking round, saw Travers and Greenhill collaring Mather, who cried out, "Murder!" Thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't yell that out. I I laughed out loud to myself. I was being murdered, murder, 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 murder. That's not what you're yelling out. But anyway, it's fun to yell out, as we know. Uh,
0: Let's see. When they, uh, so he was begging for his life, and they said they'd give him half an hour to pray for himself. Oh which was nice. How they kind. gave him gave him a prayer book they just happened to have with them. And when his half hour of prayer time was up, they um, he gave the prayer book back, laid down his head and Greenhill took the axe, chopped up top and killed him. That left three of them. Hmm. Alexander Pierce, and then Greenhill and Travers, who were mates. So who do you reckon is going to be next to cop it? Yeah. So as luck would have it for Alexander Pierce. Travers at this point gets bitten on the foot by a tiger snake and his oh. foot became gangrenous. Now Greenhill, Axeman, is his mate and he insists that they carry him. So for five days they still going, they carry him, but when it became clear that he wouldn't recover, they killed him too and chopped him into pieces. So that now leaves Alexander Pierce and Robert Greenhill. And Greenhill had the axe. And they were both starving, so it was a game of cat and mouse, and it was a game of "I'm not going to sleep. You, who's going to blink first? I'm going to watch you." Or Can you're... they
1: just not go without food for like ten days?
0: But they don't know when the end of the ten days is. All they know is that they have to keep surviving, so they don't know it. Like if they they <sighs> can't go on one day. Yeah, I won't eat today because tomorrow I'll be having some scones and Devonshire tea. They don't know that there's a tomorrow. So anyway, these two yeah, blokes are okay. facing off. Okay. So, and they're both trying to stay awake so that the other one can't get them when they fall asleep by the fire. Sure. Eventually, though, Greenhill fell asleep. Alexander Pierce grabbed the axe, killed Greenhill, and ate him. So he was the only survivor in the end, apart from the three who ran and off. And then the what begin. happens? Well, then he ran ran into an, <laughs> an Aboriginal campsite and he stole some more food. And apparently, he got caught eating a raw sheep. Like eating. Looking I know. like a
1: vampire, just Eastern. Yeah,
0: just starving. <laughs> The shepherd who came across him actually knew him and so rather than have him arrested, he inducted him into this sheep-stealing gang that he had and eventually Pierce was picked up with a guy called William Davis and Ralph Churton. They were both hanged for bush ranging and escaping from a military escort. So Pierce had been on the run for 113 days. Decent. About half of that was spent in the wilderness. So he's sent now to Hobart. Right. He confesses everything. He tells them, yes, and we ate and we chopped their heads off and we boiled the livers. And the magistrate doesn't believe him because it's so gross. Oh, he
1: still thinks old mates are on the run.
0: Yes. He oh, thinks that he's made up this sure. far-fetched story about yeah. eating everybody and that the other, the seven in the gang, or not. Did he reach into four. his
1: pocket and go, actually? <laughs> he
0: had meat. He had human meat in his pockets, but they still... Um, that he, th- that the magistrate thought that he was covering for all these other guys, so he sent Pierce back to Macquarie Harbour where he oh. escaped from them. Um, there's a few inconsistencies in his stories; he told different versions of it. But the fact remains that that eight men went into the bush and only three, no, four of them came out alive, including Alexander Pierce. But there are questions about whether. Oh, hang on! Within a year, so he was sent back to Macquarie, um, the the jail there. Yeah. Within a year, at the age of thirty-four, he escaped a second time oh, with good. a young convict
1: named Thomas Cox. Mm, did he kill him?
0: Would you eat Cox, Charnel?
1: Oh no. What's with you? Penises and Cox. What's <laughs> happening to you? Well,
0: so those two are on the run. Within three days he kills Cox because when they got to the river, he found out the Cox couldn't swim and, and he, he thought he'd be a liability, so he thought he'd eat him too. So lots of questions asked about Alexander Pierce as to whether he was only eating to survive or whether he Ooh, was actually like a, a crazy man cannibal who wanted to eat people Ooh. because he did describe, because when they eventually caught him with this um cox, <laughs> yeah, when cool. they found him with his body all chopped up and everything, it was gross and he apparently described cox as the most delicious food. <laughs> There's no way around it. This is not, I'm not doing it on purpose. No, he described people as the most delicious food (laughs) And when they reported on his court case And it came to light that he was a cannibal They reported that he did not seem to be someone Who was laden with the weight of human blood And believed to have banqueted on human flesh so he was shipped to Hobart in the end and he was tried and he's hanged and his body was dismembered for anatomical oh. science. His skull was boiled, defleshed and given to an American scientist which and it is now on display at Philadelphia's Academy of Natural Sciences. And the only other thing I'll add to that, I'm sorry if I was a bit long and boring then, is there's a song that I'm sure Kirsten will find give you a tiny taste of by the group Weddings, Parties, Anything, called A Tale They Won't Believe. When we left Macquarie Harbour, it was in the pouring rain. None of us quite sure if we would see England again. Some full muttered death or liberty. There were six of us together, a jolly hungry crew. As the days went by, you know, our hunger quickly grew. Some muttered death or liberty. So that night we made fires out of twigs and out of bark And our stomachs say we're rumbling all through the night so dark Wondering, trying to keep ourselves alive And when the sun, it rose next morning
2: what well a six, it's nine to five
0: And I sit right, another one, don't you frown To the
2: meat and hold it down It's a tale they won't believe When I get down to of town
1: if I said the words chubby bunny to you, would you know what I was talking about? <laughs> Kirst looked up immediately like, what the fuck? The would you know if I said chubby bunny what I'm talking about? No. <gasps> Kirst, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe neither of you know this. Okay. So chubby bunny is a game and it's a game that I used to play as a kid. And it's a game that you play with marshmallows. Oh. Now, what does this have to do? Oh, Kirst might have cottoned on. Um, I'll explain the game, but I need to say, do not play this game. Okay. It's dumb. Right. I can't believe I played it as a kid. It is dumb. Do not do it at home. It's not an issue for me I'm to explain. Explain so doing it. Don't do it. I'm going don't to Don't do it. Okay. So each player, so if it was you and I playing, yep. we'd have a packet of marshmallows. And so you you put one marshmallow in your mouth and you say chubby bunny, you can say it really easily. Then you do it. Chubby then bunny. I put yep. another one in. Yep. So I'm up to two and you keep going until you can't say chubby bunny anymore and whoever gets the most in their mouth no it's not the best because what happens is marshmallows melt correct and so as you're stuffing marshmallows into your mouth they're Getting pushed down your throat and they heat up from the uh, from your airways being warm, yep. and it is the equivalent of literally spraying styrofoam in your throat. Wow! And people die playing this game.
0: Kids choke on marshmallows too, don't they? Because yes. they're just the right
1: size to like plug a kid's throat. So in 1999, uh, a young girl called Catherine Fish, also known as Casey Fish, choked on four marshmallows. They must have been quite large marshmallows and collapsed during the annual care fair held at Hoffman Elementary School in Chicago's North. She died at hospital a few hours later. Now, she was playing Chubby Bunny. Oh, was she? Yes, as part of a competition that was being held at the fair and being supervised by a teacher. However, the teacher left during the game to go and speak to a janitor and oh. wasn't um wasn't monitoring what was going on mm. so when the teacher returned Casey was choking and she couldn't be saved wow there was a trial that happened after because the parents took the school to court because the their daughter died and these parents have been everywhere. They've been on Oprah and everything. I actually tried to find a clip of them on Oprah, but I couldn't, but they have definitely, you know, trying to raise awareness of this. During the trial, Alyssa Henriks, she was then 18, because this happened many years later. By the time they went through all the sort of legal Processes she described watching her best friend in distress. She said her face and lips began turning purple as she struggled to breathe after stuffing three or four marshmallows into her mouth. Uh, Alyssa said Casey took a few steps to a water fountain, she was trying to drink water to get mm. the marshmallows down and she tapped on Alyssa, she tapped her shoulder, saying, trying to signal that she needed help. Yeah, um, she collapsed, uh, as. Alyssa ran to go and get help and to go and get a teacher. Six years after her death, her parents settled outside of court. They got $2 million for her death. Not that money means anything. But... I used to play Chubby Bunny. Wow. We chubby used to do one with grapes where you would have a big
0: bunch of grapes oh. and a pack of cards. Yeah. And so you would each, you know, face up, face up. Whoever had the lowest number on their card had to put that number of grapes in their mouth. Oh, and hold them. Yes. And so you would like stuff them like, under your lip. Yeah, yeah, roll, yeah. Or under your tongue, everywhere. Your whole mouth would be like a, you know, yeah. chipmunk.
1: But think about how but dumb that grapes.
0: is. And then if you chewed on them, and so every now and again one would burst and be like sweet grapes
1: <laughs> and you'd be drooling and Probably not as dangerous as marshmallows, but... Wow. I I don't know what else.
0: Well, two things jumped into my mind. One was um, a friend of mine took a, I think it was just a vitamin capsule with his cup of tea in the morning. Yeah. And it got like part of the way down his esophagus and exploded. (gasps) Never take, you know, like a soft capsule with a hot drink. Always take it with a cold drink because they explode. The, I didn't know that. The outer cozy. Nichols
1: had to do the bloody Heimlich manoeuvre on his mum once because she, we were sitting on the couch. is <laughs> <Kurt's just> laughing. <laughs> we were both going to laugh. I know the Heimlich manoeuvre doesn't sound, is that, am I saying it right? yeah correct. Yeah. Right. I, it's, I, it's, what was she talking on? Well, she had taken a tablet and it, kind of got stuck on the back of her throat. She, Sideways? Like, like just, when Bugs Bunny
0: or someone's no, or something? Like, just like on the outside. back. Like it
1: didn't go down. It just stuck to the side of her throat. She couldn't clear it. And so Nicholas was giving her the high <laughs> like manoeuvre. <laughs> and do you know what it turned out to be? No. It wasn't a tablet. It was the little thing they have in the bottle of tablets that keeps it fresh. Oh, the little... That absorbs any moisture. Um, it's like silicone, a... Silicon. Yeah, but it's it not like the... um. It's not like the sachet one that you get in shoes, but in a bottle of tablets it's like a little... Yeah. I think
0: it's got the silica stuff in it, the dry-up stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: like a little cap that's in there. And she wasn't looking, emptied the bottle into her hands, threw it down her throat, and it got stuck. No. Yes. Wow. Goodness gracious. I know.
0: I had a friend who could eat like re- was in eating competitions what? really good and he would represent the radio station I worked at in the, on pancake day yeah. they would have the pancake parlor would have a oh, pancake yes. eating competition and he would he got banned from it because he was so good at it his secret was that he would – he would it was water like everyone would try and eat the pancakes really fast but if oh. you had lots of water it would help it slide down really quickly like it mm. every now and again we receive a an email that's um
1: more than every now and again we're better than that we yes. progress
0: oh no 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 we receive emails but every now and again there is an email that's more than you and i can cope with there's too much to the story sure. it's too complex and so we need to talk to the person who wrote the email so that's what we're doing right now we are delighted to have with us dead bodies podcast listener laura hi
2: laura Hello. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Oh. I, I, I may waffle a bit, so just pull me back into line if I, if Please I waffle. Please do waffle. <laughs> we waffle too, just as long as you're waffling well, about dead bodies. It's all right. That's I just said to your friend. Of, of, I said, um, That's Yeah, you. I think I've met the two queen of waffles. So <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excuse me. How very rude. How dare you. <laughs> in a
2: good way. In a very
0: good way. <laughs> so, Laura, th- your story that you sent okay. to us. um, yeah. Involves a dead body that was it in does. the in the home of a relative of yours. Now, we'll just sort of, of just should explain beforehand. We might just um, be careful because I gather there's mm. members of your family are not entirely thrilled about you talking about this. Yeah,
2: not. It's, <laughs> it's been really tricky. I've just been trying to negotiate with them, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a sore point for them still. And you know, I've just got mm. to be really careful and respectful. And of course, yeah. all right.
1: Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us your story?
2: Okay. Well, it involves well the the working title for my my story is called The Ta- a Tale of Three Mothers. This was in 1945. We were just coming off the back of World War II and there were men starting to send messages home that, hey, I've been a POW for three years. I'm coming home. So we have two of the women, um, the young woman who passed away, and uh, one of the, and the other woman, Alice Tengel, They were both wives of prisoners of war. Mm -hmm. My great-aunt Irene, uh, she is the other woman involved. Her husband had been to Darwin during the bombings, um, but had come back at the beginning of the year and he was working as a tram conductor. So these were these three women. The young woman lived at home with her mother and her three-year-old son. Mm -hmm. Um, She got married very, very quickly before her husband was um, sent off to Malaysia and about a week before her son was born, he was. they were notified that he was missing, at that stage, presumed dead. Oh, so she gorgeous. had spent um, oh, 42 to 45, so she spent about three years believing that her husband quite possibly wasn't coming home. Oh, that's
1: so Gosh. tricky, because you don't know whether to move on or not. I
2: exactly. Think this is huge, exactly. yes. And that's been a big, big debate in this, is what, what was going through her head. Sure. But However, she got into the second as She is. I haven't really focused on that a lot.
1: I'm moving on, so, by the way. What's that? If it's me, I'm moving on. Uh, one year. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, this Nico's was 1945, gone. she was a young woman. She had a son. It was yeah. It was tricky. It was mm. very tricky. So this young woman, um, well, she's. I presume first she discovered that she was pregnant. And then about a week after that, she received notice that her husband had been found alive and was going to be coming home. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Now, in the statement that her mother gave in court, she basically said to her mum, Mum, I'm in trouble, but I'm going to do something about it. And Mm -hmm. her mother said, no, you're not. And she went, well, yes, I am. Mm.
0: Oh,
2: no. So she went and sought the assistance of a woman called Mrs. Alice Pengel. Now, Alice was well known in the area and to the police she'd been charged um and been up on charges that in court for the death of another young woman providing a abortion mm-hmm. i've got no idea how alice Pingle got the training for this because there's nothing to say that she's actually had nursing training or anything yeah um, the only indication of why she might have been doing it is because she desperately needed money Okay. Um, I found letters that she's written to the War Department saying, when's my pay coming in? I've got two children to support. This isn't oh. easy. So that must have been must have been a turning point for her, that this is a way to make money. Mm. So this young woman went and got... Can I, sorry, can I just um,
0: add something in yeah, there? Yeah, sure. I, I do also, that probably was part of her motivation, but there also was a mm. thing where those women were all left at home. They were left to run the country and run everything.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: there was a thing of... She may have been doing it also to help her, sure, her sisters yeah. out. The, the people were Possibly, helping... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where was Alice yeah. doing these abortions?
2: Um, originally, she must have been doing them in, in her house. Almost exactly a year before this, she was in court um, being charged with... I'm not sure if it was manslaughter or murder, but a young woman had died, and she'd made a bit of a deathbed confession as she was dying um, very, very painful, horribly, saying, I wish I hadn't gone and seen Nurse Pengel. Oh. So she was arrested, um, she was in court and the case was thrown out because of the way she was questioned by police. Mm-hmm. So she was let off on this time. But the police knew of her, the judges knew of her, she was she was known for what she was doing. Um, the reason she ended up in my great aunt's house is I think they were they'd been very good friends for a long time and obviously she thought I can't do it at my house because you know that's where I was caught last time. Mm-hmm. The
0: cops are on so, her. Yep.
2: So she had agreed to help this young lady out. On the afternoon that it happened, apparently Alice Pengel had been around to have a cup of tea with Irene first of all. Um, at about. Three o'clock, the young lady had said to her mum, I'm going to get this done, um, I'll be back later on. And her mother had said, well, send, you, send your brother around with the car in about 45 minutes. Mm. So that's the last time she'd spoken to her mum. Mm-hmm. The next thing, at about quarter to four in the afternoon, um, this young lady's mother gets a urgent banging on the door from Mrs Pengel, saying, you better come quick, your daughter's fainted. Um, so her mother gets the car, gets a, gets a brother to drive the car. For some strange reason on the way, to, I've got to pick up a little girl that I'm looking after. Hmm. I'll bring her along too.
0: Strange. <laughs>
2: but, yeah, very strange. Um, Mrs. Pengel saying to her all the time, please don't call a doctor, please don't call a doctor. And then according to the mother's court report, um, she also said, look, I just gave her a syringe and then she fainted. Oh. She, she kept saying this to her in the car as they were going there. And, yeah, you with know, was adamant, you don't need to call a doctor, please don't call a doctor. And the mother had said, well, don't be ridiculous, you know. If my daughter needs help, my daughter needs help. Sure. So they arrive at um, Irene, my great-aunt Irene's house, and the mother goes inside and sees her daughter lying there. Um, at this stage, she was apparently dead, but I think the mother was still sort of thinking, you know, we could still do something, we could still help. So they call on a nurse. Around the, around the corner who before she gets there the, um, Alice Pangle said well I'm out of here I can't be here um, I've got to go and one story is that she went and hid under a bed in my great aunt's house for God. about six hours God. <laughs> and the other story is that she took off and Irene's excuse that she gave the police is oh, she needed to get home because it was getting close to tea time she had to feed the kids right. Right. <laughs> so she, she disappeared before the nurse got here So the nurse basically in her statement said, look, I just sort of was fluffing around her body. I knew that she was dead. There's nothing I could do. I was just trying to keep the mother happy. Um, They tried to get hold of a doctor who was in the middle of, I think he said he was in the middle of administering an anesthetic. And then they called him again an hour later and said, look, we really need you to get here. The doctor arrived, could see very obviously that she was dead, that she was also pregnant as well. He could tell. Just oh. by looking at her. Goodness. Um, so he went on to call the police and told the nurse to stay with the body till the police get here. Mm-hmm. So we have these two detectives, they're quite highly decorated, well known young young detectives. So they start poking around the house. They open up one of the side drawers and find this strange looking syringe. Um I think it's called a Higginson syringe. It's got like a tube in the middle, a, a ball in the middle and two lines on either end of it. The mother of the girl had also said when she was sort of looking around for towels and things, she'd opened up the drawer, seen this needle and vomited.
0: Oh. She, cause she
2: knew straight away what it, was, what it had been used for. The, the detective finds this needle in the side drawer, closes it up, doesn't say anything to Irene, pokes around the fireplace, um, notices there's some burnt fabric and material... In the in the fireplace, they walk out to the outdoor toilet. They could see blood in the toilet. They could see blood on the walls. They could oh, see dear. blood up, up the path, um, all the way to where she she'd apparently collapsed. Yeah. So he he pretty much knew then that somebody had tried to put What had on happened,
0: yeah. yeah. So were yeah. they charged with murder and, and who was they were, charged?
2: They were. The autopsy was the next day and then on the Monday, both of them were arrested and charged with murder. Yep. Mrs. Pengel, Alice refused to say anything at all. Irene did most of the talking. Mm. Um, Alice just kept saying, I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. I was just doing a good turn for this daughter, you know, daughter for her mum, Oh, just because I was there doesn't mean I did it. Mm. The post-mortem said that there was definitely an abortion and she'd been about four or five months pregnant. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. So she was you know, a young woman of 23 with a three-year-old son. Um, four or five yeah, months was, is a fair way on too. That, that, it is. It, if well, that fetus yeah. is going to
0: be at least sort of as big as your your hand, yeah. I would think. Yes, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. Well, the doctors in the doctor's report, he said he could see by a distended stomach that she was, um, pregnant, oh, he could goodness. tell that straight away.
0: Just but when you think about it, the baby has been killed as well.
2: Mm, yep. Yeah. Yep. So both oh. of them were. Um, so they were both charged with murder. Mm. They tried to get separate trials for them, but the judge refused. They mm-hmm. did an inquest the day before, and the find and his findings, it was dropped to manslaughter.
0: Laura, were they jailed?
2: Yes. yes. Yes, they were. They were. So at the end of the court case, the judge's final remarks were, you're very lucky that this has been dropped to manslaughter or both of you would have got the death penalty. Gosh. Irene got 18 months and Alice got four years. And Mm, in his remarks as well, the judge said, "Um, I can tell, Irene, that you've been kind of persuaded, talked into doing this, and I don't think you really realise what you're getting yourself into. Um, Alice Pengel, you've been here before. Um, You've done this before, you know, yeah, that's it. They're four years, and you're very lucky to be getting four years. So they're both sent to Fremantle Prison. So what it's happened
1: a... when Joyce's husband came
2: back? Mm. Okay, um, this is where I'm not. I'm still. This is where I'm still trying to negotiate with the family as well. Um, from what I can tell, he came back about a week before the women were sentenced. Um, and then I know at some stage in the next couple of months, he went back to Malaysia to help the government to find um, people that have been killed along the Burma Railway.
0: Oh. Um, and Laura, you um, said that the the young mother that died, she already mm-hmm. had a child. So She already had a child. So yes. D- yes. does that child, uh, I'm a, it was a little boy, was it? Yes. yes. Did, when he grew up, did he know what happened to his mother? Do you know?
2: Well, this is another strange part of the story that I've been told, and it's, and it's hearsay, but he did say to me that he was working for a music store delivering pianos in Fremantle. Mm. And he had to deliver a piano to this house on Canning uh, Highway. Mm. Um, he had to deliver a piano there. Apparently the woman in the house, as soon as she saw his surname on his badge, realised who he was and started abusing him oh. and telling him, your mother put me in prison. Uh, I think he was about 18 at the time. He had no idea that, well, he knew that his mother had died, but he never knew how she had died. Wow. So he got the absolute shock of his life. Yeah, two worlds climbing. But um, that was how he found out. So, Mm Laura,
0: you're putting this together. Are you writing a book?
2: I am, yes. yes. Wow. Um, Yeah, slowly. I mean, I just keep finding out all these other little bits and pieces. As I've gone and sunk into this story, I've realised how lucky we are these days to be in the era that we're in Mm. um you know that we do have so many more choices and we're so we're just much better protected than women were back then um i've I've had stories my grandmother was working at Fremantle hospital at the time she was a trainee nurse and she's told me stories about these women coming in the middle of the night they call them black taxi jobs Mm. um botched abortions during the day and you know some of them lived, some of them died of septicemia and all sorts of horrible things. And mm. she just kept saying, the best thing that ever happened is the bloody pill. <laughs> She's absolutely right. I mean, these days yeah. we have
0: access to contraception and exactly. to abortions and that are safe and legal. Well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Antibiotics were really, really scarce. And mm. a lot of women were dying, that had had these abortions in really unsterile, unhygienic conditions had died of septicemia. And sometimes it would take weeks. Yeah. For them to die, and there was just nothing that could be done for them except to keep them out of pain, and you know, quite horrible.
0: Laura, it's an incredible story. You've done a, such a, a great amount of work on it so far. Keep going with that, and when oh, the, when the book is out, let us know, and we'll share the news oh, with I will. our dead I will. body I'll, podcast listeners.
2: I'll, I'll email you my, my progress and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I've got a Facebook page as well called the True Story of King Street, nineteen forty-five. Okay. Um, that's a Facebook page. People can reach me through there. Amazing. As well. Thank you yeah. so much
1: for sharing your story with us. Oh,
2: thank you for letting me share it with you, girls. I no mean, worries. I just listen. I was thinking they've got to know my story. You just you tell stories so well. Oh, thank I thought, you. I want to tell them my story. Well, we loved
1: it. <laughs> yeah, thank, you. Oh, thank
2: you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks. It doesn't really have a happy ending, but um. None of our stories yeah. do, so that's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know? I actually have a little bit of a fact going off the back of Laura's uh, conversation. Yeah, there is no charge in Victoria for killing a fetus. Really? Yes, That's strange. Isn't that strange. Because so, is it not a deemed to be a person? Correct. So there was a case in Victoria where a man was charged with culpable driving because yeah. he killed a woman in a car accident. Yeah. Um, but he was doing the wrong thing, killed a woman. That woman woman was pregnant and he could never be charged with Oh no, I've lied. She sorry. Sorry. She lived, but her baby died. Her unborn baby died. And he was never charged with murder over the unborn baby. Or manslaughter. Can't be charged with anything. I think this it's like a really kind of nothing charge.
0: That's not right. They need to yeah, fix that. Yeah,
1: it's weird, isn't it? Hmm.
0: All right, well. If you have seen a dead body, we like to hear about it, please. Or if you're writing about one, even G- uh, dead bodies. But yeah, what's our thing? What's wrong with you? I don't dead, don't bodies know. At dead bodies? gmail.com.
1: That's it. We're on the uh, Instagram and on the Twitter. Oh, we, the Twitters. Twitter
0: just died. It's oh. a dead The Twitter is a dead Ironic. body. It's all about the Facebook. That's okay. where all the fun is, Go and there. the Instagram. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Villa, and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.